Presenting Detective Nick Harris in a salute to the law. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we bring you Detective Nicholas B. Harris, President of the International Secret Service Association and Chief of the internationally known Los Angeles Detective Agency bearing his name in another true-to-life crime story taken from his own files and proving to the youth of today the folly of committing crime. Mr. Harris. Uh, thank you, Mr. Gibson, and good evening, everyone. The story which I now relate happened in this city several years ago. And while it was a baffling case, the criminal left one very important clue, which led to the solution of the crime which shocked the whole city. As our story opens, it is 8 o'clock in the evening of a 4th of July day. I call the story On the Stroke of Eight. Our scene is located in an old-fashioned rambling frame house whose spacious, well-kept lawn stretches far out from the house to the broad street. Suddenly, there is a terrible explosion. The front of the house is badly damaged. Hello, hello, police station? Come quick. Very bad accident at my house. Hurry, please. Yes, very bad. Morton Road, number 27. Yes, please. Hurry. the grounds. Good idea, Mike. It's lucky the fire didn't amount to anything, so we'll have plenty of chance to find out the cause of the explosion. It looks darn suspicious to me. Yeah. Come on, I want to get a hold of that Jap house boy. He may know something. Here he comes now. Here, here, boy. Boy, come here. You want to see me, Captain? Yes. I want to ask you some questions. I, I don't know, please. What's your name? Suki. I am house boy for boss, Mr. John Hart. How long have you been working for Mr. Hart? For five years. Mr. Hart, you very nice employment. Where were you when the explosion took place? I I don't know, please. Oh, you don't know? Well, try to remember. Perhaps you know who was in the house when the explosion happened. Where were the rest of the servants? The boss said they can have a night off. He stay at home. Then he must be in the house. I think so. And, oh, I am so very sorry. A very fine old gentleman. All the servants go to see force of dry fireworks. Did you go? Oh, no. Very soon I go. But then the explosion, he happened, and I stayed. So you stayed at home. Where were you when it happened? I... I was away in the backyard, in the greenhouse. I... I worked with the flowers, digging. Keeping at a safe distance, were you? Uh, yes, sir, please. All right. That'll do for now. You can go. Oh, thank you, please. I am very sorry. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> Darn funny he should be working with the flowers at a safe distance from the house at just the time of the explosion. Yeah. People don't usually work with flowers at night, especially when they're going out for the evening, and he's all dressed up. Yeah, I noticed that. Come on, we'll go inside now and have a look at the damage and see what's done. More damage done here in the library by water than either by fire or explosion. Just look at that desk. Hello, here's the old gentleman right here. Yeah, from the looks of him, he had the explosive right in his hand. And here's what happened. Someone sent him a package with a time bomb in it. He opened it. Yeah, it looks like murder, all right. I'm going back to headquarters. You stay here and see what you can find out. After the photographers are taking their pictures, leave someone here to watch the place. 
I'll call the ambulance and have the body removed. Okay. You want me to bring Suki in? Not just yet, but he'll bear watching. Uh, he's our man. He acts guilty. Well, he's hiding something, but I want a little more evidence before I arrest him. not a clue except for the remnants of the time bomb to be found anywhere. Yes, but there's someone who knows more than we do about this case, and I mean to find out who it is. You know, there's only one person who'd benefit by the old gentleman's death, and that's his nephew, Jack Hart. Yeah, and he has a perfect alibi. He and his girl were at a dinner party, and he has plenty of witnesses to prove it. Yeah, but he could have sent the bomb. Yes, he could, but he was high in favor with the old man, had a big allowance, he's not in debt. Someday he'll inherit the old man's money. No motive. Yeah, and all the servants have a strong alibi. And that leaves only Suki. Yeah, I guess you're right. The hard Japanese houseboy, Suki, is here to see you, Captain. He is. Show him in. Yes, Well, what do you know about that? Now we're getting somewhere. Come in, Suki. Yes, Shut the door and come over here and sit down. All right, now, Suki. What do you want to tell me? I, I do very wrong. I do very bad, please. Yes? I make oh. one very big mistake. And so poor boy, Mr. Hart, he died. Oh. So oh. you did kill him. Oh, Why? No. no, no, please. Mr. Hart, he's a very nice gentleman. Let's have your story. Tell it in your own way. Fourth of July night, I go out in backyard to greenhouse to close doors and rock. I think I get some flowers for my lady that I am taking to dinner. And so I forget to write firecrackers like she says. But I am keeping the money she sent in her note. I am also sorry, for it is bad that I keep the money and do not write the firecrackers that I keep paying me for. I don't get you. What firecrackers were you supposed to light, and who told you to light them? Young lady, please. You see, it is my boss's birthday, and I hear the doorbell ring. I go, and there is a pocket. Who brought it? A young lady. Who was she? She is Mr. Jock Grady. Go on with your story. She only say, Suki, here is a birthday present for Mr. Hart. See that he get it just ten minutes before eight. It is a nice surprise. And then she say, here is a package of large firecrackers. Then she say, you can read English writing? And I say, oh, yes, please, I go night school. And she's very pleased and tell me, after I have given the boss the package, I must do what she writes in the note. And what did she write in the note? She say, at exactly 8 o'clock, I must be away in the backyard and I must write the firecrackers all at one time so they make big celebrations to celebrate the boss's birthday. And she also put in $5 bill for me. I start to get flowers, and so I forget the firecrackers, and I do not earn the money she gave me. So I must return it. Oh, so very sorry to spoil her nice surprise. But you did give the package to Mr. Hart? Oh, yes, and he is very pleased. He put it on the table before him and smiled and asked me who sent it. But I not tell, for the lady did not want him to know. It spoiled the surprise, I think. <laughs> no doubt. Then what happened? Uh, Mr. Hart read the card, which say... Do not open package until 8 o'clock, the hour you were born. Did she sign her name? Uh, no, please. She just signed a friend. Was the old gentleman pleased? Oh, yes. He said he would open it at 8. He takes his watch out to watch the time, and I left him sitting at his desk. Oh, so very And sorry. then you went out to gather the flowers? Uh, no, please. I went out to write the firecrackers, and then I forget when I am putting the flowers. Uh, what shall I do with the five dollars, please? Don't worry about that. And thanks for coming, Suki. You go on home and don't tell anyone what you've told us. Oh, no, please. You haven't done any wrong, Suki, but you have helped us a lot. So don't worry about it. 
I'll keep this note. Uh, thank you, please. I'm very happy now. Hmm. So that's the way of it. But why did she want him to set off the firecrackers? To cover up the explosion? No, she'd have sense enough to know she couldn't do that. I think she did it to get rid of the houseboy. Wanted to get him out of the way so he wouldn't get hurt. Just wanted to bump off the old man and no one else. So she sets the time bomb for eight, sends Suki out to a safe distance at eight, I and... think you've got it. Clever girl. But why did she want him to bump off the old man, Captain? That's what we're going to find out. I'm going to have that girl and the old man's nephew brought in here for questioning. why you've had me brought here. That, Miss Ruth May, is what we're going to find out. But first, I'm going to ask you a few questions. And may I presume to ask you just what these questions are pertaining to? There's no harm in telling her that, is there, Blake? Oh, no, no, Captain. Her question's fair enough. I'm going to question you, Ruth... It may to you, please. I'm going to question you, Ruth, about the murder of Mr. John Hart, the uncle of the man you were planning to marry. Oh, Oh, was he murdered? Does Jack know? I don't think he does. Oh, and just why do you think that I know anything about the murder, if it was a murder, which I strongly doubt? Because you killed him. I? Don't be absurd. Why should I kill the old gentleman? This is ridiculous. It's not ridiculous, but a cunning and diabolical murder. You know who did it? So you might just as well come clean and tell us the whole story. I refuse to answer any of your silly questions. I want Jack brought in here now. Why are you keeping, keeping him out there? Are you sure you want that? Do you want him to know just who and what you are? I don't know what you mean. Ruth, we know you're guilty. We know that you made the bomb yourself. We know you got your instructions from a book we found on your dressing room table. We know that you delivered the package to the houseboy, Suki, along with a package of firecrackers and a note of instructions to him. This note had a $5 bill in it. Aren't you being rather dramatic, Captain? And we know the motive for the murder. We've proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jack Hart had nothing to do with it. And we know your record. Okay, Copper. I guess you've got the goods on me. Give me a cigarette. Thanks. Well, yes, I did bump the old fool off because they knew too much. A day or two before the explosion, there was a knock at my apartment. Come in, please. Oh, I, I beg your pardon. You're Mr. Hart, aren't you? Jack's dear uncle. Won't you sit down? No, thank you. But how much will you take to leave town? I'm afraid I don't understand, Mr. Hart. Oh, yes, you do. How much will it cost me for you to leave town and never see my nephew, Jack, again? I'm asking you a straight question, Mamie Sloan, and I want a straight answer. And we'll save time if I tell you that I've hired detectives who've checked your past life. I know you have a long police record. You've been in jail several times and have served a five-year sentence in an eastern reformatory. So how much money do you want to leave my nephew alone and get out of town? Oh, smart guy. So you've been looking me up, have you? Well, just you listen to me, you doddering old fool. You can't buy me off, get me? I'm going to marry that nephew of yours, and you can't stop me. Oh, yes, I can. I'll tell him just who and what you are. And you think he'd believe it? <laughs> the poor sap hasn't brains enough. I've got him right where I want him, and I'm not going to give him up. I'm going to be Mrs. Jack Hart, and I'm going to spend your dough, get me? Here is a check for $1,000. Take it and leave, and I'll never tell Jack about you. Refuse, and I'll cut him off without a dollar if you marry him. And furthermore, no funny tricks. Before I came, I sent for my lawyer, and I told him just what was what. If anything happens to me, well, even if Jack marries you, then he will be cut off of my will. Smart guy. I didn't think you had brains enough to think that out. All right. You win. Give me two thousand and I'll be... 
So you took the check and cashed it? Sure. But you didn't intend to leave town. No, of course not. So why'd you kill the old man when he told you if anything happened to him, his nephew would be cut off? Well, after he left, I doped it out this way. The old man was running a bluff. He hadn't gone to his lawyer, so if I killed him, I could marry Jack and all would be swell. He had given me the right steer, then I'd pick the two grand and beat it. So didn't you know that Mr. Hart's lawyer might suspect you? Oh, I just took a chance. You see, I was right. The old man had only been bluffing. You cops would have caught me in before this. And it hadn't been for that house, boy, I... So the mystery was solved through the honesty of the Japanese houseboy who wanted to return that $5 bill. It goes to prove that no matter how cleverly a criminal plans and carries out his crime, the law always, sooner or later, catches up with him and proves again, as I have so often said, crime does not pay. Thank you, Mr. Harris. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard Detective Nicholas B. Harris, chief of the internationally known Los Angeles Detective Agency, bearing his name in another true-life drama entitled On the Stroke of Eight. Fictitious names and places have been used throughout this narrative, and any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. This story was dramatized for radio presentation by Adila Comer and is a Carolyn Carroll production. Mr. Harris wishes me to thank the following cast of characters. Betty Lou as... Ruth May, Ben Kumagai as Suki, Bob Fulton as Blake, Bob Schopfer as Uncle John Hart, George Ford as Captain Hull, with Wesley Tudlot at the Council of the Oregon. Mr. Harris will again be heard next Sunday afternoon at 12.30 over the same station in the second of his new program series entitled Crimes in the Headlines with Bob Palmer and his Utah Trail Boys, Frank Lawrence, Vidal Ortez, and Clarence Cutford. Mr. Harris will also be with us next Tuesday night at 8.15 in another most intriguing drama entitled Prospector's Gold. Your announcer has been Jim Gibson. You are tuned to station KECA, Los Angeles.